going to assume, for the sake of this conversation, that you've been following the back and forth over the last several days so we don't have to set it all up again. I'm going to assume that you know General Kelly is Donald Trump's chief of staff and a general. Assume that you know Congresswoman Frederica Wilson listened in on the call to a family that lost a soldier and then uh, launched criticism of the president for the content of that call. So what I, from what I understand, this was a complete surprise that the chief of staff uh, walked into the briefing room and went up to the podium and started in. Well, thanks a lot. Um, and it is a more serious note. Uh, so I just wanted to perhaps uh, make more of a statement and an explanation, give more of an explanation than uh, a, uh, what amounts to be a traditional press uh, interaction. Uh, most Americans don't know what happens when we lose one of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, or Coast Guardsmen in combat. So let me tell you what happens. Uh, Their buddies wrap them up in whatever passes as a shroud, puts them on a helicopter as a routine, and sends them home. Uh, Their first stop along the way is when they're packed in ice, uh, typically at the the airhead, and then they're flown to use a Europe, where they're then packed in ice again and flown to Dover Air Force Base where Dover takes care of the uh, remains uh, and bombs them, uh, meticulously dresses them in their uniform with the, rebel- with the medals that they've earned, the emblems of their service, and then puts them on another airplane linked up with a casualty officer escort that takes them home. A very, very good movie to watch if you haven't ever seen it is Taking Chance, uh, where this is done in a movie HBO setting Chance Phelps was killed under my command right next to me. And it's worth seeing that if you've never seen it. So that's the process. While that's happening, a casualty officer typically goes to the home very early in the morning and waits for the first lights to come on. And then he knocks on the door. Typically, the mom and dad will answer, wife. And if there is a wife, this is happening in two different places. If the parents are divorced, three different places. And the casualty casualty officer uh, proceeds to break the heart of a family member and stays with that family until, uh, well, for a long, long time, even after the internment. Uh, So that's what happens. Who are these young men and women? They are the best 1% this country produces. Most of you, as Americans, uh, don't know them. Many of you don't know anyone who knows any one of them. But they are the very best this country produces. And they volunteer to protect our country when there's nothing in our country anymore that seems to suggest that selfless service to the nation is uh, not only appropriate but required. But that's all right. Um, Who writes letters to the families? Typically, the company commander, in my case as a Marine, the company commander, battalion commander, regimental commander, division commander, secretary of defense, typically the service chief, commandant of the Marine Corps, and the president typically writes a letter. Typically, the only phone calls a family receives are the most important phone calls they can imagine, and that is from their buddies. In my case, hours after my son was killed, his friends were calling us from Afghanistan, telling us what a great guy he was. Those are the only phone calls that really matter. And yeah, the the, uh, letters count to a degree but uh, there's not much that really can take the edge off what a family member is going through. 
So um, some presidents have elected to call. All presidents, I believe, have elected to send letters. Um, if you elect to call a family like this, it is about the most difficult thing you could imagine. There's no perfect way to make that phone call. Uh, when I took this job uh, and talked to President uh, uh, Trump about how to do it, my first recommendation was he not do it uh, because it's not the phone call that parents, family members are looking forward to. It's a nice to do, in my opinion, in any event. Uh, he asked me about pre pre previous presidents, and I said, I can tell you that President Obama, who uh, was my commander-in-chief when I was on active duty, uh, did not call my family. That was not a criticism. That was just to simply say, I don't believe President Obama called. That's not a negative thing. Uh, I don't believe President Bush called in all cases. Um, I don't believe any president, particularly when the casualty rates are very, very high, that presidents call. But I believe they all write. So when I gave that explanation to our president three days ago, um, he elected to make phone calls in the case of the four young men who we lost in Niger uh, at the earlier part of this month. But then he said, you know, what? How do you make these calls? Uh, if you're not in the family, if you've never worn the uniform, if you've never been in combat, you can't even imagine how to make that call. But I think he very bravely does make those calls. Uh, the call in question uh, that he made yesterday, um, or day before yesterday now, were to four family members, the four fallen, and remember, there's an extra kin designated by the individual. If he's married, that's typically the spouse. If he's not married, that's typically the parents, unless the parents are divorced. And then he selects one of them. If he didn't get along with his parents, he'll, he'll select a sibling. But the point is, the phone call is made to the, um, the next of kin only if the next of kin agrees to take the phone call. Sometimes they don't. So a pre-call is made. President of the United States or the Commandant of the Marine Corps or someone would like to call, will you accept the call? And typically they all accept the call. So he called four people the other day and expressed his condolences in the best way that he could. And he said to me, what do I say? Uh, I said to him, sir, there's nothing you can do to lighten the burden on these families. But let me tell you what I tell them. And what, let me tell you what my best friend, Joe Dunford, told me, because he was my casualty officer. He said, Kel, um, he was doing exactly what he wanted to do when he was killed. He knew what he was getting into by joining the, that 1%. He knew what the possibilities were, because we're at war. And when he died, in the four cases we're talking about, Niger, my son's case in Afghanistan, when he died, he was surrounded by the best men on this earth, his friends. That's what the president tried to say to, a fam to four families the other day. I was stunned when I came to work yesterday morning and brokenhearted at what I saw a member of Congress doing. Member of Congress who listened in on a phone call 
from the President of the United States to a young wife, and in his way tried to express that opinion. He's a brave man, a fallen hero. He knew what he was getting himself into because he enlisted. There's no reason to enlist. He enlisted. And he was where he wanted to be, exactly where he wanted to be, with exactly the people he wanted to be with when his life was taken. That was the message. That was the message that was transmitted. It stuns me that a member of Congress would have listened in on that conversation. Absolutely stuns me. And I thought at least that was sacred. You know, when I was a kid growing up, a lot of things were sacred in our country. Women were sacred and looked upon with great honor. That's obviously not the case anymore, as we see from recent cases. Life, the dignity of life, was sacred. That's gone. Religion, that seems to be gone as well. Gold Star families, I think that left in the convention over the summer. But I just thought the selfless devotion that brings a man or a woman to die on the battlefield, I just thought that that might be sacred. And when I listened to this woman and what she was saying and what she was doing on TV, the only thing I could do to collect my thoughts was to go and walk among the finest men and women on this earth. And you can always find them because they're in Arlington National Cemetery. I went over there for an hour and a half, walked among the stones, some of whom I put there because they were doing what I told them to do when they were killed. Um, I'll end with this. Uh, in, in, in October, uh, April, rather, of 2015, I was still on active duty. And I went to the dedication of the new FBI field office in Miami. And it was dedicated to two men who were killed in a firefight in Miami with, against drug traffickers in 1986. A guy by the name of Grogan and uh, Duke. Uh, Grogan almost retired, 53 years old. Duke, I think, less than a year on the job. Anyways, they got in a gunfight and they were killed. Three other uh, FBI agents were there, were wounded, now retired. So we go down. Jim Comey did an absolutely brilliant memorial speech to those fallen men and the, and the, and to all of the men and women of the FBI who serve our country so well, and law enforcement so well. Uh, there were family members there. Some of the children that were there were only three or four years old when their dads were killed on that street in uh, Miami-Dade. Um, three of the men that survived the fight were there and gave a rendition of how brave those men were and how they gave their lives. And a congresswoman uh, stood up, and in the long tradition of empty barrels making the most noise, stood up there and all of that, and talked about how she was instrumental in getting the funding for that building, and how she took care of her constituents because she got the money, and she just called up President Obama, and on that phone call, he gave the money, the $20 million to build the building, and she sat down. And we were stunned, stunned that she'd done it, even for someone that is that empty a barrel. We were stunned. But you know, none of us went to the press and criticized. Uh, none of us stood up and were appalled. We just said, okay, fine. So I still hope, as you write your stories, 
and I appeal to America that let's not let this maybe last thing that's held sacred in our, in our society, a young man, young woman going out and giving his or her life for our country. Let's, let's try to somehow keep that, keep that sacred. But it eroded a great deal um, yesterday by the uh, selfish behavior of a member of Congress. And then General Kelly takes questions, which we might play some of coming up. Why does that stand out so much? I was thinking as I was listening to that, hmm. compared to other stuff you hmm. hear on a regular basis. Why does that stand out so much? Because you don't feel like he's got an agenda? Because it's honest? Well, we could start with sincerity. We could start with the fact that he's a man who deserves respect. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, when somebody is telling you the truth as they see it, it has a different ring than when somebody's trying to score points. And and often scoring points while completely ignoring any any desire, any need to cling to the truth or decency or concede that the other side is human or whatever. I mean, it was just... It was heartfelt, which is a rarity. In case you didn't figure it out, he was talking about the cowboy hat woman yeah. at that memorial uh, standing up and saying, I, I'm the one who got the money for this, by the way. I just want to make sure you all knew that, Yeah, which is something. Uh, our text line is 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. There's more with the question and answer period if we, uh, if we want to run that, where he uh, gets into it a little more on the same theme. I'd be interested in what you think. 415-295-KFTC. If the president had dealt with any of this with any dignity, we wouldn't be here either. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He, he did start it. With uh, a, yeah, he, well, yeah. In effect. With some comments that just nobody can explain. Uh, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. We just played the entire uh, General Kelly address. If you haven't heard the whole thing, seek it out. We'll, we'll post it at the website, armstrongandgetty.com. We have it. We have it already. So, yeah, you can check that out or hear it again if you want to. Uh, my God, thank you for playing that, guys, both powerful and heartbreaking. Um, thank you for the entire uh, 12 minutes. Uh, a lot of people who hadn't heard the whole thing like I hadn't. Uh, the You know, I'd heard the individual clips and they were powerful. But, but hearing it and, and just... And just hearing the way he puts it all together, as it, maybe that's why it stood out. It was so clearly not calculated. It was just, you know, it was just flowing out of him. And and he was not appearing as a you know paid talking head or what have you. Um, I agree with you on what you were saying earlier. You you, you feel like you're commenting on a dog fight and you don't want to. Uh, so I don't want to get into the specifics, the parsing that people are doing. Sure. Ang- uh, angry email here uh, saying, uh, why the hell did Joe also blame and attack Trump? Trump did nothing wrong. So fed up with A&G and the rest of the propaganda media attacking Trump every day and politicizing everything he does. So there's somebody who sees absolutely no fault on one side Trump, in this mess. Trump saying previous presidents didn't call was just an unconscionable thing to say. I mean, how do you possibly... Decide to go there 
Why did you go there? And then insisting afterward that he better call these people and having that turn nutty. But anyway, um, I thought uh, Kelly talking about uh, he needed to calm down by going walk around Arlington National Cemetery and how he put some of the people there. I thought that was really something. Yeah, that was amazing. It's one of my favorite places on earth. Um, and as you may recall, I yelled at another person's child in Arlington National Cemetery. I do remember that. Um, For so, being disrespectful, by the way, if you didn't hear that story. I assume everybody who listens to the show has listened to every show for the past 15 years. <laughs> you haven't? <laughs> uh, so we, we got a lot of texts, and they're, they're all along the lines of teared up during General Kelly's address, really moving important things for airing it. A lot of people wondering why he's not running for something. Uh-huh. You know, There's a lot of people like him that don't want to run for office because it's difficult to be elected and only act the way he acted yesterday. You to to run for elected office, you almost at some point have to sully yourself with phoniness, pandering. It's very difficult to avoid that. Well, and even if you didn't, you could leave that out of the equation entirely. And we've personally talked to people who've run for office and also heard, you know, their testimony, if you will, uh, via other means. And they all say it is a humiliating, disgusting discouraging process in which you and your wife and your children or your husband become aware that you are being followed constantly by opposition research people from the other side. They are literally lurking around your kids' schools. They are watching your husband go into his workplace. They are digging through all of your files. They are literally going through your garbage, looking for ways that they can destroy your character. And and, and and people say, I'm willing to deal with the nightmare more or less, but I cannot ever put my spouse and my children through it. Right. I wouldn't. No. Oh, no. You are volunteering them for for horror, for just a, dis- well, at the very least, a disgusting experience. Hey, Ed- hu- Educational. <laughs> say to my wife, hey, honey, I'm going to make you, uh, you're going to have to stand up at a microphone at some point and answer for everything you did in high school and college, for instance. Right. Everything you've ever said, the clothes you wear, your hobbies, your non-hobbies, your weight, the color of your hair, the children, any time they ever got in trouble in school is going to be in the newspapers. And that, I'm running for the Congress. And that system is what keeps guys like him from running. But he, uh, he ended his uh, question and answer with this, and we thought this was worth bringing you. Understand, there's tens of thousands of American kids, mostly doing the nation's bidding all around the world. They don't have to be in uniform. You know, when I was a kid, every man in my life was a veteran, World War II, Korea, and there was the draft. These young people today, they don't do it for any other reason than their selfless sense of selfless devotion to this great nation. We don't look down upon those of you that haven't served. In fact, in a way, we're a little bit sorry, because you'll never have experienced the wonderful joy you get in your heart when you do the kind of things our servicemen and women do, uh, not for any other reason than they love this country. So just think of that, and I do appreciate your time. God, and as he said earlier in his speech, are we at a point where we have no respect for anything? There's just nothing left. Yes. Yes is the answer. Yes, General Kelly. Do you have any other questions? Yes is the answer. So it would seem.
And we were heading that way before Trump came along. So, uh, it's just, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's something. Does it turn around at some point? I su- well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we're done with the slide. Do you think we're done with the slide? No, probably not. I'm I'm feeling a bit of a pushback. It's in a similar place to like the uh, the militant campus crybaby movement, where more and more kids on on campuses are saying, "All right, that's enough. You howling lunatics don't get to run this place." Um, and and the resistance to the resistance is just beginning, but. Who knows how long it'll last. We were talking to a, a radio veteran uh, last night. It's at a national show. Um, and he said, this is the hardest time I've ever had doing talk radio. Just because it's so weird and everybody's so angry. And, I mean, you look at the Republicans. Who are the Republicans? Is the president a Republican? Kind of, arguably, not really. Uh, who are the conservatives? Is it the Republicans? No. Not most of them. You know, it's, it's just, and, and everybody is perpetually angry at everybody else, including people within their own party. So you just, you cannot say, wow, what a beautiful, sunshiny day without angering like 45% of your audience. Well, I certainly wish Trump had never said that stuff about the former presidents. I think that was incredibly out of line. And I'm amazed that we have a member of Congress that is like this woman. Who was willing to do what she did. Who is crowing that she's now a rock star. That was her reaction to General Kelly's speech. Wow, little old me getting all this attention? Wow, that's what you took away from that? Despicable what is human being. Wrong, what is wrong with you? Holy cow. Well, as I've said many times, anybody could get elected to Congress. You got Usually, if you got the right religion or race in certain, some areas, right. anybody could get elected. But, wow. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, a lot of people taking notice. Two former presidents speaking out about the state of American politics these days on the same day. Why the Mandalay Bay Casino security guard did his one and only public interview with Ellen DeGeneres and the one facial procedure that really does make people more successful and attractive. Oh, wait a Check minute. I'm going to get that done. S- sign me up. I'll get it done this weekend. Stories coming up minutes from now. Armstrong and Kenny. Whatever. Sure. The doctor who does it, we'll, we'll do it for trade. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll we'll a whore for you if you'll carve up our face in whatever way Marshall dictates. <laughs> I don't even know what this procedure is. Is it the chindo? <laughs> the chindo. I'm glad that never caught on. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. It's hard to bounce back to frivolity after Kelly's speech. It really is. Yeah. That, that, that was something. We ha- we ha- I haven't heard something like that in American uh, discourse in a long time. It's, it's like we don't do that anymore. I feel like I'm waking up from a sad but lovely dream. And soon Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi are going to remind me of reality. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, the White House is expected to be pressed today about critical comments coming from former Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama, both men criticizing the state of U.S. politics in separate speeches yesterday. They did not mention President Trump by name, 
For his part, Mr. Bush, who rarely speaks publicly these days, warned about the state of play in American politics. We've seen our discourse degraded by casual cruelty. At times, it can seem like the forces pulling us apart are stronger than the forces binding us together. Argument turns too easily into animosity. Disagreement escalates into dehumanization. Too often, we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. As for Obama, he was at two events, one in New Jersey, another in Virginia. Again, he didn't uh, mention Trump specifically, but made his displeasure with Washington known, warning about the hostile political climate. If you have to win a campaign by dividing people, you're not going to be able to govern them. You won't be able to unite them later if that's how you start. Yeah, you were plenty divisive in your time, Mr. President, sir. Is there any chance this was coordinated, uh, McCain, people are, Bush and Obama yeah, this week? A lot of people are wondering about this. You know, it's very interesting. McCain, Obama, and Bush all the same time. Yeah. Although, it's so in the air, I think, with yeah. a lot of people that we've, we've got we've to calm this down somehow. They're trying. I think that's exactly what they're trying to address, as you say. I just wish my guy, Gary Johnson, had spoken and said, What is Niger? (laughs) Wow. Wow. It is uh, being reported in the press. Mandalay Bay's owner, MGM, insisted the security guard, Jesus Campos, appear only on Ellen DeGeneres and not be grilled by TV hard hitters, fearing his answers to the questions about timelines could result in massive lawsuits from victims of the massacre. You nailed it, Sean. So if he'd gone in any well, news outlet... he gets partial credit. Sean thought he was going on the softball batting practice because he wanted gentle questions. No, it's a cover-up. You fool. Look behind the curtain. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, if he'd been on any yeah. actual news interview, right. they'd, they'd have gotten to very quickly. So... At what point were the police called? I mean, how do you not ask him that? Ellen wasn't going to do that. Then he's going to have to go with no comprende. Wait a minute. You're, you're speaking English. The, the last question I asked you, you answered in English. No. You you watched the whole thing, Sean. Was there any, like... No. No, no, no yeah. sort of time stamps. What time did this happen? When when was this? Um, nice, what was it like? How did it feel? Nice job, Ellen. Wow. Yeah, it was... I mean, they, it was very clumsily described. Like, even when they were talking about the gunshots... It wasn't even made clear. Or, okay, were those still more being shot at you, or was he shooting away at the at the concert? At that, just no, nothing wow. really kind yeah. of nailing that, that sort of thing down. Gotcha. I wonder if they if they talked to her about that, or they just knew that that's the way she would handle it. She, they might have just been comfortable in knowing she would handle How it. How strange! I, it is. It is because don't it, talk to anybody. Talk to the investigators and then go home. Yeah. Don't do anybody's show. What are what 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 what? That's my question about the world today. What is happening? You'd think that would be the answer if you're worried about lawsuits rather than doing a show and choosing Ellen. You just would stay away from it because it's not required that you go on a talk show. Right. I know. I, maybe people have forgotten that. New study has determined that one facial procedure makes people more successful and attractive. I'm ready. 
Last I'm getting it done, guaranteed. I'm, I'm, I'm committing right now. No matter what you say it is, I'm going to get it done this calendar year. Don't even numb me up. I'll sit there and take it. What is it? <laughs> it is the nose job. Yes. Uh, my nose is fine. Finally. I've always hated my nose. John's what what don't you like about it? Oh, it's oh. too wide. I need a thin, oh, yeah. pixie nose like Marshall likes in his yes. gals. And, yes. you, and you think you think your, if your nose was a different shape, your life would be any different? Everything would be different. <laughs> Johns Hopkins University did the research among uh, the uh, data that they dug up. They had 473 participants analyze photos of 13 patients both before and after having nose jobs to come to this result that those with the nose jobs are more attractive and turn out to be more successful. Yeah, I need a chin implant too and a cheek tuck and an ear lift. God, I got some... Our man Hanson was on the phone uh, yeah. taking pictures you mean last Anton? night. Anton, Anton. So we're, Anton. I'm at the party last night. Yeah. It was getting late in the party. Yeah. We had this big radio station party here, right. booze, food, clients, that yeah. sort of thing. Late in the party, all the uh, the women's who had been drinking were wanting to get their pictures taken. Oh yeah. So I'm I'm posing with all these uh, various people, oh, and, and, and the guys. It was just we stand next to each other. They take yeah. the picture, but all the women, the women, they 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 were immediately telling him. Oh, uh, no, further back, a little higher. No, move to that side. Let right. me stand like this. Right. Wow. I, I don't put that much thought into these pictures. That well, nobody's... it shows, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> these pictures that nobody's ever going to look at. Just take the freaking picture. It might be why you looked photoshopped in after the fact in every picture <laughs> right. I've ever seen Who you cares? in. Who cares? Who possibly cares? <laughs> they, they, they had to get the, we had to move around, get yeah. the lighting right, yeah. head yeah. the right direction, yeah. 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 right elevation. All right, whatever. Stand over here, stand over here. Better light, better light. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm starting Getty Show, the voice of the West. I hope they turn out nice. Um, we kept getting into darker and darker spots. I don't know what that was all about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? We got a funny email about Marshall and his phlebotomist. Uh, Do a little bonus mailbag. We have all sorts of insights about the rising anxiety rates. How about next hour? Yeah, that's a good one. I'm too anxious to talk about anxiety. That's a good one. Marshall um, met a woman at the hotel bar last night, so he's on a roll this week. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Again, expectations and realizations. (laughs) I don't know what that means. No, but it sounds good. Yeah, if you didn't hear uh, yesterday when we were talking about the number of college students who now ex- say they're uh, experiencing anxiety. And, and what was overwhelming anxiety? Yeah, yeah, and the way it skyrocketed in recent years. We'll get into that again. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's troubling. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. for many a sports team in my life and been excited when they won and sad when they lost. But uh, whenever I hear clips of other people doing it, <laughs> I always am a little, uh, <laughs> I feel like, ooh, that doesn't that does not reflect well on my emotions. I hate the Dodgers. I hate the, I've always hated the Dodgers. I was in a high school production of Oliver. 
I played the artful Dodger. I made him change the name of the character. <laughs> Call me the artful thief. I'm not being no stinking Dodger. They are definitely one of those teams that uh, people either uh, love or hate. They're not one of those, eh, I have no opinion, if you're a sports fan at all. I think the World Series is going to be really good. You know, if you're going to tune in. If you all. can handle the media paying so much attention to Yankees-Dodgers. When, for instance, while I was rooting for the Giants winning World Series and it didn't make the news at all, <laughs> let alone it's going to be a constant right. drumbeat of this is the most important thing in America. Well, the Bronxians ain't in yet. Yeah. And Houston has something to say about it. Boy, how disappointed are they going to be if it's Houston, L.A.? They'll Astro- have the damn hurricane narrative. Oh, that's right. The- Houston bouncing back, putting their hopes on the shoulders of, you know, a bunch of, you know, Central Americans they've rented for a year. But <laughs> they're heroes. The Houston. <laughs> I mean, these kids, they'll just fall all over themselves with that narrative. And now it's a flood of joy, Jim. As- oh, boy. A hurricane of runs here in the fourth, and as they go I, ahead by three. I don't think they would do no. that. I don't think they no. would do that. Hmm. We see a whirlwind of activity in the dugout. The waters are rising around the bullpen as they've given up too much. No? No, 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 nobody nobody would do that. Okay. Um, did you see Quentin Tarantino, what he said yesterday? I saw the headline in just a brief summary, yeah, about the old Harvey Weinstein. Quentin Tarantino told the New York Times that he was ashamed for not having taken a stronger stand on Harvey Weinstein's behavior, which he had known about for decades. The quote is, there was more to it than just normal rumors, the normal gossip. It wasn't secondhand. I knew he did a couple of these things and didn't say anything. Mm. You know, I'm not making excuses for uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Culture matters. Hollywood is a culture, well, rapey wood, as I call it. Where you can harass, you can sexually assault, you can molest children, et cetera, et cetera, and people turn a blind eye if they can be made a star or make a lot of money. That's the culture of rapey wood. And so what Tarantino's saying is, yeah, it was it was awful the whole time. My soul was suffering for it, but I didn't have the guts. A lot of these actresses coming forward are talking about being underage when they were uh, either assaulted or hit on or, or felt up or mm-hmm. whatever, like Reese Witherspoon. I think she was 16, she said. Uh, and and now you got um, people re-looking at some of the Corey Feldman stuff that's been around for a long time, child star of the 80s. I was was reading some of his uh, quotes yesterday where he's being re-asked about it now and talking about how his friend Corey Haim, child star of the 80s, who killed himself, was raped at age 11 by someone who's currently walking around Hollywood as a very successful, well-known person. We know who that is, but I don't want to say it because I don't want to get sued. But we were told who that is, and that person is walking around uh, successful and uh, and wealthy and, and obviously not in jail. Oh, yeah. Poor Corey Haim was passed around. It was disgusting. You know, if I was going to look at it as a scientist studying the behavior of a beast, what's really striking to me is after a young woman, a Reese Witherspoon, or just a woman X, young girl X, is treated that way, is sexually assaulted, uh, you know, groped, raped, etc., disrespected repeatedly. It becomes clear that the culture of Hollywood condones it and overlooks it. That person still puts up with it because the allure of stardom and money is so strong. That, as a scientist, is is probably what I would study. Yeah. It's interesting for the actresses that are coming forward like this week. It's getting very little attention because there's a, at least for me, I know, I think for the media, there's a feeling of, we get it. Harvey Weinstein's a rapist and he's been ruined and and he may go to jail. We get it. 
Um, because these people are coming forward with stories that are, are, are amazing, but it's just more of the same. Uh, actress came out just the other day and said she was on a cruise with Harvey, and he came to her room there on the cruise ship and shut the door and uh, did his thing in front of her in her room <clears throat> and uh, and left. And another woman who he invited her to his house, and while his kids are in the other end of the house, he was uh, trying to get her to massage him and blocked the door and did that whole routine. Wow. And she offered to massage him because she thought, I don't know how to get out of this, but I can't. I can't let him be touching me, and I don't know where his hands are. Right. So she offered to massage him, and then I figured, i got to get out of here, and then just head to the door, and he blocked it. But she got wow. out of there without getting raped. But his wow. kids were in the other rooms in wow. his own house. What a monster. Yeah, he's, he's, he is completely off the rails mentally ill. So this is from theweek.com, and they're talking about, they mention, um, well, the question is, can we seriously doubt that Hollywood is also turning a blind eye to the very real child ab- sex abuse scandal? The evidence is there, just as it was in the cases of Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein. In 2011, former child star Corey Feldman warned that pedophilia in Hollywood was a big secret and the number one problem. You, you may remember I described to you, uh, he was on The View for some reason, and Barbara Walters was shaming him for, for saying that about an entire industry. Feldman alleged that he was abused and his friend was raped on a movie set at the age of 11. But he didn't just talk about instances of abuse. In a later interview, he described a system whereby young children were groomed by powerful older men who formed an organized network with publicists providing cover. He would love to name names but feared the legal risk. Former child star uh, star Elijah Wood of uh, the, uh, the, the Hobbit movie fame made global headlines after saying in an interview last year that there was something major in Hollywood. It was all organized. There are a lot of vipers in this industry. People have only their own interest in mind. There's a darkness in the underbelly adding that Hollywood can squash the victims so they can't speak as loudly as people in power. And Corey Feldman told us that uh, off the record, correct? About all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was on hold. He didn't want to go on the air, but he told us on the on the phone. But yeah, it's they haven't even started to deal with that yet. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.